0: a series on relationships reset and I have loved every single one of the speakers that we had did watch it on holiday and so appreciated the impartation and the wisdom and I want to talk about a topic today which is an enormous one and we're just going to deal with a a, a small section of this topic and it's the issue of forgiveness And it's something that, it's not just something we need to do occasionally. If we're honest, we deal with this in some way or another every single day of our lives. There's a thought that pops up from the past. There's a person we haven't seen for a while that we suddenly see and something gets stirred up. There's something that happens in a household. I know yours is perfect, but there's issues with Linda sometimes. Uh, No, with me, there's issues with me. We now do have an issue. Anyway, but I want to go to the wisdom of the inspired Word of God and specifically what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 to 32. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Maybe you want to just, if you're watching online, type that in. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. It's a powerful word, that malice. It literally means to have evil or bad intent towards somebody else. And getting rid of that, what do you replace it with? Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And that's an incredible challenge that the Apostle Paul puts to us. It doesn't just kind of say, do your best in this. He says, No, you need to come to a place where you can forgive others in the same way as God through Christ forgave you. But I'm really drawn to that thought about not grieving the Holy Spirit. Because God has sent His Spirit to fill us, to empower us, to guide and to lead us through all of life, and in every situation to make us more like Jesus. That's the ultimate goal of what God is trying to work in and through your life and circumstances and in and through some of the difficulties you're dealing with. And in this passage, Paul connects our relationship to the Holy Spirit directly with our relationship with others. It's kind of like if your relationship with others is not going well and there's bitterness and anger and frustration and malice, he says, well, then you are grieving the Holy Spirit who sealed you for the day of redemption. He's not saying the Holy Spirit's gonna abandon you. He says that just causes great sorrow For the person of the Holy Spirit when you're not fixing relationships. There's a picture out of the Old Testament that always comes to mind when I read this, and it goes back to the story of Noah and the flood. And after 40 days of being in the water and this global flood that that has caused such devastation, and we kind of get this picture of a pristine ocean, a little arc bobbing on the water, But you and I who've lived in Australia and other parts of the world as you're watching, you've seen the devastation that a severe flood can cause. You've seen the shattered trees, the dead animals, and in this instance, people, and now floating on the water. And Noah opened the window he had made in the boat and released a raven. The bird flew back and forward until the waters of the earth dried up. It does not come back to the ark, even though it can find no dry land. And you've got to ask the question, why? Well, it's having a feast. Raven eats dead things, rotting things. And in the Old Testament, it's considered this unclean bird. And it's flying from carcass to carcass, just having a feast. It doesn't need to return. And then Noah releases a dove. And the dove, in contrast to the raven, is a clean bird. And it will not actually sit on something that's rotting. And through the course of Scripture, the dove becomes a symbol not only of sacrifice, but also of the Holy Spirit. Remember when Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit descended him like a dove, not as a dove, but like a dove. There's that symbolism there. And it says of the dove that was released, but the dove could find no place to land, so it returned to the boat. And with this sort of grieving the Holy Spirit when there's bitterness and clamor and unforgiveness in our relationships, I kind of get this picture that our lives become unclean because that's what Paul is saying. And the Holy Spirit comes to do more in our lives and he goes, I actually can't land here. I can't dwell here. There's just so much ugliness. You're feeding on dead things, as it were, broken relationships, rehearsing stuff rather than living in the freedom of forgiveness. Because unforgiveness is a prison. You can get imprisoned in your life by holding on to unforgiveness. And sometimes it's very difficult to forgive. I'm not suggesting this is an easy topic. But Jesus obviously taught a lot about relationships. And he taught a lot about forgiveness. And it's well worth maybe just even as a little bit of homework today, is to read Matthew 18, which centers a lot on the topic of forgiveness. And Jesus tells a parable, a story of a man who's forgiven an enormous amount, a debt so big that in a hundred lifetimes, he couldn't repay it. And then the same man goes out and grabs a fellow servant by the throat who owes him a minuscule amount of money and demands immediate payment. And he says, if you don't, I'm going to throw you into jail. And the king hears of this and is incensed. How could you not forgive a debt when I have forgiven you this enormous debt? And clearly we can pick the parallel between God's forgiveness towards us and what unforgiveness we may hold towards others. And Jesus says this, then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. And if the parable ended there, that would be strong enough. That would be of great concern in order to get our attention. But Jesus does something that he doesn't normally do when he teaches a parable. Normally he doesn't spend a lot of time explaining or interpreting the parable. But he says, this is so important, I don't want you to miss the point. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse. Now I want you to notice it's a refusal. It's not, well, I'm struggling with forgiveness. No, if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart you'll end up in some kind of prison and torment. And as somebody so eloquently put it, is unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person will die. It actually does more damage to you. It locks your life up. And I've been reflecting at a little bit of things that I've experienced in my own relationships and struggle with things that get broken or damaged or this misunderstanding, all the stuff that you deal with. And so here are some things that I think complicate the whole issue. Number one, we assume that we know the person's motive. When we do something wrong, we want people to know, well, I didn't intend it. I actually had a good moment. It just, motive. It just got out of control. I, I made a wrong choice. But somehow the devil loves to entice you into believing that the person's motive of the one who hurt you was malicious and occasionally it might have been but mostly they were struggling with the relationship just as you are. And in First Corinthians 2 and verse 11, it says, No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thought except God's own spirit. He said, you actually don't know what's going on in the heart of another person. And don't assume, don't look at their actions, talk to them about their actions, the things that hurt you, the things they said or did, but don't assume that you know their motive. It'll lead you to a dark place. The second thing is that we're not proactive enough in seeking to repair relationships. I don't know about you, but I've caught myself doing this on occasions, ignoring the problem and hoping that either the problem or the person will go away, that it just won't have to deal with it, somehow it will just resolve itself. And clearly we need a bit of wisdom in this. We don't need to be rushing to people over every little thing that irritates us, be bigger than that. But where there's something that's catching, where there's something that's niggling, where there's something where you're now rehearsing the thing and there's some anger and frustration, you need to resolve it. And Jesus, again, Matthew 18 and verse 15 says, if another believer sins against you, go privately. I want you to notice that that word privately in the original Greek does not mean go to Facebook, go to Instagram, uh, tell everybody else. It actually means privately. Go to them privately. Point out the offence. And if the other person listens and confesses, you have won that person back. And I want you to notice that last phrase there. You have won that person back. And one of the greatest things is to remember that you don't need to win the argument. You need to win the person. You need to win the relationship not just win. And I know for people, and I I say this with great compassion, who have a strong sense of justice in them. God put it there. But often that sense of justice causes you not even to see past the offense. You've got to get justice. And, And sometimes the win is not to win the argument to prove you were right and they were wrong, but to somehow win the relationship back. The third thing that we do is we rehearse the offence in our minds. Every single one of us has done this. When we're hurt, when we've been offended by somebody, we start having these imaginary conversations. If we haven't already jumped to their motive, we start heading there. And then we say, when I see them, I'm going to say them, they're going to say then I'm going to say them, I'm going to say it." And I'm... you've had that conversation in your head. And seldom when you see the person who begin to talk it out, does it actually go that way. And Jesus says this, because the more you rehearse it, the more emotion gets caught up in the thing. And I'm going to come to the emotion thing in a moment. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, Jesus says, and you suddenly remember, it starts going through your head, that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. And when you notice, Jesus places such emphasis on going to reconcile that he says, your sacrifice to God becomes secondary to the primary thing of getting the relationship fixed. And in the teaching that Jesus gives in Matthew 18, he does permit that after numerous attempts, the person may not respond. This is not a perfect thing. We've fallen, we've broken, and... People don't always respond. We don't always respond well. The fourth thing is that we can bring a hurt from a past relationship and project it into a present situation. And that's difficult not to do that when you've been hurt, when you've been rejected, and suddenly somebody's behavior seems like that thing back there. The Bible says the human spirit can endure in sickness but a crushed spirit, who can bear it? And sometimes things have happened in our past that have kind of crushed us and suddenly we're dealing with something totally different but in our heads, in our emotions, it seems like that thing and all the emotion from that comes into this and clouds the relationship. And if you're dealing with that, then say to the Lord, please help heal this thing so I don't project my past into my present. The past hurt onto good people in the present. They, they may not be perfect, but they're not trying to hurt me. <clears throat> the the first thing, and there's only 20 of these now, I'm almost done, is we, we draw people into our cause. We talk to others about them. Instead of talking to the person we need to be talking about. Jesus says, leave your gift to the altar. Go and talk to them. Go and try and win the person back. And that's a terrible thing that happens. And, And we've all done it. Where we start spilling our pain into others. And there's a place for getting some wisdom. There's a place for talking to one or two people. Asking, how do you think I should deal with this? But you and I all know that moment. When we're now telling too many people. And it's no longer about getting wisdom. It's now about ruining the other person's reputation. It's about justifying our cause. It's about drawing people to ourselves. And sometimes when I see this happening, I want to say, I don't have a problem with that person. You do. Go and fix it with them. Don't make your problem with them my problem. Because the problem with gossip Is that, it gets into you. Listen to how Proverbs says it. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the innermost part. It's kind of like once you've heard something about somebody that's negative, it's hard to get it out of you. And so I encourage you, go to the person. Don't spread the hurt. Following on from that, we listen to what others say about people and we can end up taking on their offence. That person has never done anything to you, but because a friend of yours has been hurt by them, you're now offended at them. And the devil is just having a field day, messing up relationships, and it never happened to you. I love the wisdom of Proverbs, God's wisdom. Proverbs 18 and verse 17. Any story sounds true, until somebody tells you the other side and sets the record straight. And sometimes we've taken an offence and we've just never heard the other side of the story. It doesn't mean the person wasn't wrong. It just means there's more to it than what you've been told because even at our best, we tell the story so that we look good. I love something that Caroline Leaf said, never let what you hear about someone change the way you view them. You might be hearing it from a hater. And that's what happens so much nowadays, unfortunately, with Twitter, Facebook and Instagram and where people just feel on social media, they can say anything they want and it doesn't... Anyway, I'm moving on. The final thing in coming to some solutions is somebody hurts us and there's a blow up in the relationship. But then in our heads, we never let them grow or move on from that moment. And I love the story in the book of Acts between Paul and John Mark. And John Mark disappoints Paul severely on a missionary journey. And Paul said, I'm not having him around. And there's no small dispute to the point where one of the greatest apostolic partnerships gets broken up between Paul and Barnabas because Barnabas stands up for John Mark. And years later, Paul says, bring Mark when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. What's happened is he actually is acknowledging Barnabas was right. And Barnabas had to address some things in John Mark. What John Mark had done was wrong, but it's time to move on. And Paul says, I've seen that you've grown. I've seen that you've changed. Come on, let's fix this relationship. So let's talk as we land this thing about the freedom of forgiveness. You see, one of the biggest things for us to realize is that forgiveness is a decision, not an emotion. And I think many of us have got trapped in unforgiveness because we're waiting for the emotion to change rather than saying, no, I've made a decision and my emotions need to obey my decision. And it'll take time, but it'll happen. I was reading just the last few weeks and it Uh, I brought it into this message, an article that referred to a book that C.S. Lewis wrote. He was a prolific author and a great Christian author. And some of you may have heard of the Screwtape uh, Letters, which is the conversation between a senior demon and a junior demon on how to mess up a Christian's life. It's Very insightful. But he wrote a sequel called The Glob Drop Letters, and he's writing to this junior demon who's called Globdrop. And the senior demon is Wormwood. And listen to what he says to them. On your watch, your man has come to believe that he can and ought to control, even train his emotions. Emotions, Globdrop, must rule the mind, not the mind, the emotions. And never let the enemy, referring to God, rule both. He says, as long as you can throw emotion into the relationship, emotion into his decision-making, you'll have control of him. It's incredible insight that. God gave us emotions. They color our lives. They're wonderful. We shouldn't be afraid of them, but they should never rule. Our minds submitted to Jesus, being renewed by the Spirit and by the Word, should govern our emotions. He goes on to say, the emotions from birth are lions to be let free, not a pet to be trained. On your watch, your man has come to believe otherwise. Return him to the catechism that his emotions should rule. And so I want to challenge you, where you feel that inflamed emotion. Come back to what God's Word said. Invite the Holy Spirit to say, I need help to get my emotions to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. My mind to submit to the Word of God. And yeah, there will still be the emotions, there may still be the pain, the frustration, but they don't rule, they don't make decisions for you. Emotions will make terrible decisions for you. But a mind renewed by the Word of God, led by the Holy Spirit, bringing emotions into their right place where they colour your world rather than control your world, you will find you will make enormous progress as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus says, Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Kenneth Wurst, an extraordinary Greek scholar, said the insight into that phrase, forgive, and you will be forgiven, it is kind of lost in the English translation. I mean, forgive is a powerful word. Being forgiven is a powerful thing to have happened to you. But literally he said you can translate forgive and you will be forgiven in this way. Be setting free and you will be set free. See, that's where the power of forgiveness kicks in. In the releasing of others, something gets broken open in your own life and you allow a greater fullness of the Holy Spirit to move in your life because he's not grieved. He's not sorrowing over the things that are churning in your heart and mind and the anger and the malice and the need to get retribution. There's forgiveness that's flowing. And so again, I, I reinforce that forgiveness is a choice. It's not an emotion. You see, forgiveness is not just gonna happen. It, it's gotta come to a point where before God, with the help of the Holy Spirit, and He will help you. You say, today, at this time, I choose to forgive and add your, no, put the person's name there. And then when the emotion comes, you can say, I rebuke you, Satan. Get behind me in the name of Jesus. On such and such a day, I made a decision to forgive. My emotions are still hurting. I have thoughts that still are race around this, but I chose before God under the lordship of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit to declare forgiveness. And then Jesus says, bless those that hurt you and persecute you. One of the most powerful things is just beginning to pray a blessing over them. It changes something in your heart. Paul teaches very clearly in an incident that hurt the whole Corinth, church at Corinth that forgiveness is an issue of obedience, of decision and not emotion. He says in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 7, and I don't have time to go into the background, this man had severely offended and hurt the church but has now repented and the church at Corinth are still pushing him away. And Paul says you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. I urge you therefore to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote You was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Paul says, I'm checking up on you. I'm urging you to forgive to see whether you will be obedient to Christ. And so I want you to take a moment right now. And just say, Holy Spirit, if I've grieved you in the way I'm doing relationships or a relationship, I ask for your forgiveness but I'm also asking for your help. Would you help me get my emotions under control, get my mind renewed and engage my will so that I can be obedient and to forgive as freely as Jesus forgave me? I'm not saying it's gonna be instant. I'm not saying that it'll just happen overnight, but if you affirm that reality, you will begin to experience the freedom of forgiveness in your life. And of course, there's another side to the freedom of forgiveness. It's the extraordinary forgiveness that God through Jesus Christ extends to us for all our offenses. So enormous past, present, and even future offenses against God are forgiven in the name of Jesus and by the power of His death and shed blood on the cross.